We are in Acts chapter 10 today. So open your Bibles, your apps, your whatever you use to, to get to the text of God's Word and uh, open it up to Acts chapter 10. Uh, kids, just a reminder, we've got those uh, notes downstairs that will help you kind of focus on taking uh, notes. I hope you've got them. I've been able to see a few of the notes you've taken. Your parents or others have texted them to me. Uh, your notes are awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. Chris, you might need to grab one of those as well uh, just to learn how to focus and, and, and do this. So uh, let's do a quick review, though. I know a number of you weren't here last week. You're coming back. Welcome back, first of all. Uh, so last week, what we saw was Saul and, and this boldness of Saul after converting to Christianity, after coming to Christ, um, and, and it was just amazing. He stands up and he preaches, and we saw just how little the, the Jewish people there appreciated this conversion, so much so that they tried to kill him uh, once in one city, and when he went to the next city, they tried to kill him again. Uh, you can tell they did not appreciate it one bit. Uh, and then we saw Peter heal a, a man named Aeneas, uh, and a woman named Dorcas is actually raised from the dead. All this from the power of Christ. There's amazing things happening. Uh, and what we saw through all of that was that the gospel was being preached and that people were coming to faith in Christ. Uh, this week, we're still following Peter. We're still following kind of this adventure that God's taking him on. Uh, and it's a bit of a long passage. It's 48 verses uh, that's a lot. We're going to read them all today. We're going to read them all because the reading of the Word of God is very important, part of the means of grace. Uh, and we're going to be reading it all, but we're going to do it in sections. We're going to start with verses 1 through 8, and then we'll read each section as we get there so it's fresh in your mind. Uh, but let's do that. Um, Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror, and he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, and to bring one Simon, who is called Peter, who is lodging with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having relegated everything to them, related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. We come to you, God, because, as the Apostle Paul once said to you, there is no place else to go. Only you have the words of eternal life. And so we thank you for the scriptures here before us, and we ask for your spirit to enlighten each and all of us to understand and to believe your word this day. Lord, if anything preached today is not in accord with your word, may it fall on deaf ears, and may what is true be heard and believed and applied to our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So what we're learning about in this text is a significant, hugely significant historical event. Uh, it's told here in our text here that we're looking at today. It's also going to be retold again in chapter 11. Uh, and then a third time in chapter 15. It's that important of an event. And, and the reason is, is that the main question that's being asked in the early church at this, this time period is this, this question of how can both Jews and Gentiles 
be the people of God? Or, as we'll see later, what are the prereqs? Um, they didn't use that word probably, but what are the Jewish prereqs that are necessary for a Gentile to truly believe the gospel? So our story begins with this man named Cornelius. I can actually remember suggesting this as one of our baby names when uh, Beckham was born and uh, our first child. <clears throat> and I was doing it not because of this guy, but because of a man named Cornelius Van Til, who was a, a theologian. Uh, I thought it was a great name, so I suggested it. Laura vetoed it uh, on the grounds that that is too strange of a name. And so we ended up going with Beckham because that's a much more normal name. Um, so your name is awesome. So... Uh, while Cornelius is a strange name to us, it was a very common name in this culture. It was no big deal. They'd heard it a lot. It was a, a name that was passed down from some leaders who were significant. Uh, we also learn here that he was a centurion, meaning that he was a commander of a hundred men. I've been asking around our, we have a number of commanders in here trying to figure out if we have a centurion. I found we have a two-thirds centurion, and we have a third centurion. And finally, I've located one of you who is a centurion. I won't rat you out, though, although I just pointed at you, didn't I? Uh, so this Cornelius is in the Italian cohort, which is, uh, consisted of six regiments, uh, and he was in charge of one of those. All these are army terms that probably mean nothing to you. They're like the abbreviations that the army families use, and you have no idea what they're talking about. Um, it's that kind of thing. So here's what I want you to understand about this information. This information tells us that, uh, worldly speaking, this man is not an outcast. He's not desperate in, in, in the worldly sense. And, and I tell you that uh, because, I mean, we see here he's an accomplished man, right? He's not living in his mother's basement. That's not the situation here. Uh, and I point it out because so often I've heard an accusation against Christianity that it's for the weak. To which I respond um, in the sense that we are all weak. Yeah, it absolutely is for the weak. However, what we see in our text here today is that... Um, and what we see objectively in the world around us is that Christianity is needed by the weak and by the strong. It is needed by absolutely everyone who has ever walked this earth, apart from Christ. And so then we see Cornelius here is in the city of Caesarea. This is a port town. It's on the Mediterranean Sea. If you're not familiar with the geography there, it gets a little confusing because uh, they refer to the Sea of Galilee as the sea. It's just a little lake. It'd be like uh, us calling a, well, Tuttle Creek's not helpful either, is it? Um, it's just a freshwater lake, though. Uh, the Mediterranean Sea here, though, is, is uh, that we see in the story that they're next to. This is a legit ocean. There is salt water. There are salt water fish and whatever else goes in that kind of thing. It's on the west coast of Israel. Uh, and then we learn about Cornelius, and they list these four qualities or, or highlights about him. And the first thing we learn is that he is a, a devout man, um, meaning he has a commitment to God of some sort. He's interested in the things of God. Uh, and that's one of the things they want us to know about him. The second thing is that it says Cornelius feared God. We think of that as just a phrase, but it's, it's actually more than an observation about him. Uh, it tells us that he's at least partially converted to Judaism, uh, partially in that he worships the one true God, uh, but you know he hasn't received the sign of the covenant from the Old Testament. He's not circumcised. Uh, so there's, there's a partial conversion in that sense to Judaism. And the third thing we learn is that Cornelius is generous in his almsgiving. Um, alms, we don't use that phrase very often unless you're quoting Monty Python. Um, <clears throat> what he means, though, is that he's providing charity in the form of food or in the form of money to, to the poor. And he does so generously. 
And finally, we're told that he prayed continuously. And this is before he could have ever have read uh, what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Uh, when you memorize scripture, this is one of those verses because it's so short so you can get success immediately. Pray without ceasing. Uh, well, it's true of his life. And so we read all this about him, and it seems to leave that no doubt that God is already at work in his life. There's something happening here um, that we see. But I also want you to notice another thing about Cornelius here, uh, or at least with Cornelius. I, I want you to think about this, that there is a category of person in the world who's not a Christian and yet is kind uh, is generous, is well-spoken of by other people, is, is someone that the general public would just say, yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, and I mention that because uh, I, I taught for years in a Christian high school, and I can remember one of the students telling me after they'd gone off to their first semester of, of uh, school at a, a state college that uh, you know, they met this friend of theirs uh, who was an atheist, and he was really nice. Um, and that was a surprise to the student because really over the years they just imagined that all atheists were cruel and, and rude and all sorts of uh, stereotypical bad person, everything you want to throw into that. Uh, and so there's the shock of here is someone who does not know Christ and yet they're generally a kind person. Uh, and, and I want us to know that, that, that there are people who, who don't know Jesus who are de decent and generous. And, and I point this out for two reasons. I'll, I'll tell you that. The first is so you'll know that it's okay and good to be friends with these people. Right? If the influence goes the opposite direction, that's a problem. But it's good and okay to be friends with these people. Uh, and second, so you'll understand that their kindness, their, their generosity is not the same thing as faith in Christ. Don't ever confuse that. You know, even being spiritual or devoutly religious of some sort does not make someone redeemed by the blood of Christ. Uh, because being sincere about a false belief is not the same thing as trusting in Jesus. So we see Cornelius here in our text. He's He's a well-spoken of man, uh, but he still needs a savior. Uh, so then Cornelius, we see, is visited by an angel. It's about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. They always do that this many hour, that hour of the day. Uh, so it's about 3 p.m. Uh, and this messenger of God, this angel, speaks to him, uh, and he tells him, you know, send to Joppa. There's a man named Peter that you're going to uh, send your men to go get. Uh, and then we, we pick up right there. So let's pick up uh, Peter's vision, uh, starting in verse 9. And the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Okay, so Peter goes up on the roof to pray. Uh, about noon in the day, middle of the day, it's about lunchtime, right? And it sounds weird to us, like, why in the world are you praying on your roof? If you go home and pray on your roof today, uh, what are your neighbors going to think about you? Probably that you're crazy. Uh, plus, if you're anything like me, you'd roll off and break your neck. Uh, so understand, you kind of have to picture the houses at this time. The, the homes in, these, in this era had flat roofs, and they had stairs on the exterior that you could walk up to. Uh, so don't picture a roof like you do in our house. Picture something more like a, a porch or a deck uh, that he has gone to just to be alone with God and to pray. 
Uh, and of course, you can relate to the fact that he goes to pray, and now Peter finds himself starving. He is hungry. He wants food. Uh, it's fitting, then, that, that, that God gives him this vision as he falls into this, this trance, as our text says, um, this vision that includes food, right? Um, now, God often reveals things through imagery instead of just saying whatever it is, uh, which can be frustrating. If you're the kind of person that likes uh, uh, spreadsheets and that sort of thing, this kind of thing drives you nuts. Can you just give us a spreadsheet, right? Uh, but we get this vision, and it's because it's going to really kind of unfold as he, as he explains this, as we learn about it. Uh, that's the case here. This, this vision uh, is a sort of bed sheet, if you can imagine it, being lowered from the sky. Uh, and, and carried on the sheet are animals of all kinds. Uh, this is typically not the favorite verse you'll find of vegetarians, uh, those who are so for ethical reasons, uh, because you have that, that cumbersome phrase here where, you know, Peter hears the voice, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Uh, and for all the animals, there's no salad on this thing, so that... That can be a problem, but that's not even the main point. We're going to see that, and, and Peter seems to understand uh, that the voice that he's hearing is, is God or a messenger of God. He speaks to it as if this is God. He understands that's the kind of interaction he's having, and, and so that's kind of odd why we find Peter respond by refusing to obey. Uh, he says, by no means. That's kind of this emphatic refusal. It's, it's the way we might say it is, uh-uh, no way. It's kind of this self-righteous, there's no way I would do that. And he's objecting because what he's hearing is God asking him to do something which God has forbid him from doing. You can imagine the confusion in that moment. See, in Leviticus 11, there are some animals that are considered unclean, and these animals are not to be eaten by, by people of the Jewish faith. And the list in Leviticus includes reptiles and birds and pigs. And, and so you can understand, as, as it specifically tells us, there's reptiles and birds here. Um, you can imagine then just how confused he is uh, when God tells him to eat the animals which the Torah teaches are unclean. See, what God is doing in this moment is re removing this dividing line between the clean and the unclean. Uh, the voice responds to Peter's, Peter's refusal, saying, uh, what God has made clean, do not call common. Uh, it's a case of God being the ultimate authority. Uh, he's the one who has declared that eating a pig is forbidden to his people, and he is now the one lifting the ban, which we'll see is really about something much, much bigger than animals and food. Uh, I do want you to notice that in this exchange between Peter and God that it happens three times. Uh, did you notice that? It's interesting with Peter, the way things happen three times. Uh, you might remember Peter would... Uh, he denied Christ three times before the rooster crows. Uh, and so we're seeing it here, kind of that repetition in Peter's life. But, but really, I wonder if this repetition isn't more about preparing Peter for what he's going to face next, right? Uh, it's one thing to see these animals and be told, you know, kill and eat. Uh, it's another thing for him to come in contact with, with somebody, a human being, a real person in front of him who he would have considered unclean. Uh, so let's, let's keep reading this. We'll continue the narrative, picking up in verse 17. It says, follow along. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. 
What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by the holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guest. The next day he rose and he went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and he had called them to uh, called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, and he fell down at his feet, and he worshipped him. Let's just stop there for a moment. Um, Cornelius gathered his friends and families for this. I wonder how that conversation went. You know, hey, guys, uh, maybe you can come over to my place today. Uh, we're going to listen to some guy that God told me to send for. Uh, I mean, what do you say to that? Sure thing, Cornelius. Maybe next week we'll have you over to listen to some strange man. Um, you don't know how that conversation really went, but, but they show up, right? Uh, you can tell they trust Cornelius, uh, even to the degree that Cornelius trusts this angel that it's actually going to happen. And, and it works, you know. Some of the soldiers that he's commanded, uh, <clears throat> uh, commanded actually uh, are, are present there. And so these men who work for him are, are watching this. They're part of his actual life happening. Uh, and so then he sees this, this Jewish guy at the door, Cornelius does, and he's never met him before. And, and yet this commander of a hundred men falls to the ground and worships Peter. What a weird experience. And I think we know it's, it's wrong. If anyone were to worship you, you'd kind of know it's wrong, but you kind of like that idea, like, ah, you know, they're a fan of mine. Um, and, and so that's why I love how quickly Peter just puts a stop to this. You know, keep reading. We'll, we'll pick up in verse 26. We see what Peter does. He's, but Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I, too, am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, Why have you sent for me? So you see, now unlike so many of the Jews in Jerusalem they've been preaching the gospel to and, and who have been rejecting Jesus, here is Cornelius with this, this openness, ready to receive whatever God has to tell him. Um, you notice here that, uh, that, that Peter is very out of his comfort zone. Um, he's been sent by God, and, and yet there must be this, this feeling, this uneasy feeling that, you know what, I'm not supposed to be here. It's that kind of dirtiness. I, I am not supposed to be here. It's almost that, that land before time kind of three horns never play with long necks kind of thing. Um, some of you are too old or too young to have never seen that, right? Uh, it's a, that sort of feeling that really I'm not supposed to be here and he even shares that feeling with them uh, that God has recently taught him to no longer call them or anyone else common or unclean. Remember there's a strong understanding uh, that the Jews were clean and that everyone else was, was unclean. There was a, a great deal of um, prejudice in that sense. So in the vision Peter saw, it, was, it wasn't just about adding bacon to the menu. I know at this point in history we kind of can focus on that foolishly, but, but it's much bigger. You see, as this sheet is lowered down by the four corners, you ever wonder why the four corners? Why this? So, so picture that. It's lowered down by the four corners, meaning... What happens to all the animals? They're pushed to the center. They're uh, touching each other. They're even squirming all over each other, probably. Uh, there's no way to keep them separate at this point. 
So we hear this word common here. It was, an old, it was actually not an Old Testament law term. It was a, uh, a term that comes with the Pharisees or someone later in history outside of Scripture uh, telling them not to associate with those who were unclean. Uh, unclean is an actual Old Testament term, but the common was, was a little different. Uh, an a- actual uh, obvious example might be like the, the leper. You know, you touch an unleper, uh, a leper, you were now considered unclean yourself. Uh, so in a sense, Peter's saying, listen, I'm here with you, Gentiles. I'm associating with you because God made it clear that his great commission actually necessitates that we associate with you. And the reason is so that the good news of the gospel can be proclaimed to you and so that all the nations of the world might hear the gospel. And so Peter then has been called to welcome these Gentiles to, to faith in Christ. And we're going to see that. Uh, Peter still might not be comfortable with his understanding, and that seems uh, clear. It might explain why he seems impatient with him, right? Kind of, uh, uh, let's get down to business. Why did you call me here? Um, we'll read again verse 30 to kind of see that. And it says, And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. And therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So really Cornelius is confessing, I don't know why God has sent you here, Peter. Um, but I'm ready to hear whatever it is he has to say. Uh, and so I want you to listen closely as we read this next section. Uh, and here's why. I think, I think when we read Scripture, we tend to associate with one side or another. We figure out who's right, who's winning, who's, who's good here, right? And we kind of associate that way. My, my kids do this with movies and everything, books, uh, that kind of thing. You know, they, they kind of watch the movie and they're like, I'm that character. Or, you know, the, the girls are, I'm, I'm Anna, I'm Elsa. Uh, Beckham's like, I'm the moose. Um, I think we all do that when we read scripture to, to some degree, you know, we just want to associate ourselves with the right side and uh, no one's ever like, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm the Pharisee because he's awesome. Um, I don't think they do that. Uh, so I say this because too often we, we read these stories and we think we're the Jews in this situation and so now we welcome other people in. So know that very little exception in this room or with very little exception in the sanctuary today um, you're Cornelius. Uh, you're the common, the unclean animal in the story. Me, you, that's us. We're the Gentiles by not being, by the virtue that we are not Jews. Uh, that's hard for us to hear, I think. I mean, do you, under, you understand that, middle class America? You are the outsider here. Me and you, we are unclean in the story. And so keep that in mind as we read this. Now we'll pick up in verse 34 right here. So Peter opened his mouth and he said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know that what happened throughout all of Judea, Judea beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witness of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. 
So listen up here, because he's about to explain the gospel to the Gentiles here. Um, and he's speaking about the Jews in Jerusalem to start with here. He says, They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all, all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as a witness, or as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. What a glorious statement there when Peter even starts with God shows no partiality. See, partiality means bias or, or favoritism towards one group of people or another. And his point here is that God is not the God of the Jews only. God is the God of all. And Peter does such a great job of summarizing Jesus' message, saying that he was preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Preaching the good news of peace. See, at the heart of it, uh, what we universally need as, as men, as women, as children, is peace with God. And that's the problem of sin, is that it makes God our enemy, and so we need to find a way to find peace. Um, actually, last week, Laura and I were watching a television show about a fictional Secretary of State, Madam Secretary, if you've ever seen it. Uh, and she's working on this, this peace agreement between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, that part's not so fictional. Uh, and many lives are lost in the process. And this is very difficult, it's this messy effort as they're trying to get this, this peace agreement signed. And, and at the end of the episode, it, it does get, uh, it is successfully signed, but, but uh, this secretary, the Secretary of State reflects on this, uh, how great um, the whole situation, and one of the other characters is reflecting on the peace agreement, um, that it was reached and was excited about this and said, you know, peace is beautiful. You can see just the exhaustion on the Secretary of State as, uh, as she responds by saying, Peace is a beautiful thing. Making peace is not. And that's where it ends. And, and really that statement resonated with me because I thought about uh, the gospel, about the peace that we have with God through Jesus. Having peace with God is a beautiful thing. The making of that peace with God was not. Uh, as verse 39 says, Jesus was put to death. He was being hung on a tree. That means a wooden cross. He went through the ugly events in, in history to be the sacrifice to pay for the sins of his people. See, Jesus died on a cross because that's how he could make peace for us with the Father, for his people. Uh, what we see in this text, then, is that his people are not only the Jews. It's anyone from any nation, any skin color, any background who has faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. Um, in other words... Peter's now implementing the Great Commission which Jesus instituted. Kids, do you understand that? A lot of big words there, right? Um, Peter's now implementing the Great Commission which Jesus instituted. What that means is that, that Jesus told Peter and the other apostles uh, to go tell everyone about salvation in all the world. Um, to go tell them that they need to have faith in, in Christ and to make disciples of all nations. And, and Peter's now doing that, even though it feels awkward for him. So now, there in verse 36 is a, a wonderful statement of who Jesus is, a, a title that no one ever can hold except for God. It tells him, he is Lord of all. 
This would hold significance for a man who uh, was functionally the lord of a hundred men. Don't want to scare you commanders there, but um, he's being told that, that Jesus is so much more powerful. He is the lord of all. Not only the lord of all, but the judge of all, as verse 42 makes clear. Jesus is the one whom all people will ultimately stand before, both Jew and Gentile, both Peter and Cornelius. And so the only means of salvation is faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. Uh, see, this is true for, for Jewish people who are biologically descendants of Abraham, um, and it's true for Gentiles who are not. All must be spiritual descendants of Abraham, and that means having faith in Christ. And so, um, now, remember I said that we're like the Gentiles, right? That's who we associate with. Uh, we're like Cornelius and his friends and his family. Um, this is the moment in history when the gospel begins to be preached to all people. And God makes that message powerful through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so let's finish it out and see how they respond to this, uh, starting in verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just like as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked to remain for some days. They heard the word of God. That's the gospel. And everyone present believed. Uh, men and women who were from rival cultures are now finding themselves brothers and sisters in the family of God. When verse 45 then states that the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. We know that this was not expected. Uh, the scene shocks the, the Jewish people that are traveling uh, with Peter there. There's six of them according to chapter 11. Uh, and, and either they were shocked because they didn't believe God could do this or, or more likely because they didn't believe God would do this. Uh, these are their enemies in some way. You know, we are special, they're not. And yet here God is pouring out the Holy Spirit on them. Uh, and the whole event just paralyzed Pentecost, just like it did for the Jews in Acts 2. Uh, they're now true followers of Christ, genuine children of the covenant. We know this because they're filled with the Holy Spirit just like the Jews were um, at the place of Pentecost. Take note how this happens also. I tell you because we hear a lot of strange things about the Holy Spirit today. Uh, there's no laying on of hands here. Uh, no one asking God for the Spirit. No one asking for a second helping of the Spirit. God just does it. Uh, it's like the ribbon cutting of a, a new era and the expansion of the kingdom of God. You know, even the Gentiles are receiving the kingdom at this point. And so while before Cornelius was a devout and, and generous man, he was not a Christian. Um, but now having heard the gospel, he is. Uh, having believed it. His, his sin is forgiven. His hope is in Christ. His salvation is secure. Now it tells us here that they, they spoke in tongues. That can scare us at times. It's the same thing that happens in Acts 2. Uh, at Pentecost, the, the Jews who also spoke in tongues, and it was showing a, a fulfillment of a prophecy from Joel 2. Uh, what's significant here is that the, the prophecy from Joel 2 is for, the, for Israel, right? The people of God in the Old Testament. And, and yet now we're seeing this prophecy fulfilled in the Gentiles. Um, that would have been shocking. What we're seeing here is that uh, there is grace being given to those who thought they were outside the reach of grace. See, guys, 
Even today, no one is outside the reach of grace. No one. When, when Peter then declares that no one can withhold baptism from these new believers, he's, he's making a point that these people are now members of the covenant. Those who were outside the community are now members in the community of God's people. So let's kind of slow this down. Um, all these things, all these amazing things happened to Cornelius, right? Just try to get your head around this. Some of these crazy things, uh, it's hard to get our head around, but try to understand this. An angel visited Cornelius. At that moment, he could have written a book and it had been a bestseller or a scroll or whatever you write then. Um, right then, you know, it, it would have been a big deal. Yet despite such a miraculous experience, his sin still separated him from God in that moment. He does what the angel says. He sends for Peter. The guy actually shows up, um, you know, uh, just like the angel said. That's amazing. And yet his sin still separated him from God. And I say this because sometimes we really wish God would do those amazing things in our lives. Or we hear stories of people telling these things. You know, send an angel to talk to me. That would be the coolest thing ever. Then I'd believe with, with absolute faith, right? Or, or give me a vision or a prophecy or something amazing, God. That's what I want. But, but listen, that's great and all, but, but keep it all in perspective here. It's not until Peter preaches the gospel. It's not until God gives Cornelius faith to believe that gospel. That's when he actually receives peace with God. That's when salvation has arrived. It's really a, it's a, it's a real life example uh, of what Paul later writes in Romans 10, 14 uh, and 15. There it says, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. See, God here goes to extraordinary measures to provide Cornelius and his family and his friends someone to proclaim the good news to them. And what we learn is that there is no one and no place outside of the reach of God's grace. So we'll close then with a, a quote actually from Michael Horton that we talked about at the men's study yesterday. Uh, it explains why there is grace for the Gentiles and grace for the Jews. Really, this is the sort of want to take away from it. It explains why we can so freely scatter the, the seed of the gospel um, with joy uh, wherever God takes us. Here's what it says. He says, in an economy of grace, there is enough to go around. The Father's love and generosity is not scarce. When that's an endless abundance you can give it freely right that's one of those freedoms that we have to just go and to preach the gospel to anyone we meet we have no idea what God's going to do um, don't make decisions for God I think sometimes we want to say there's no way to believe the gospel so why bother and you have the freedom to to spread the gospel in the sense of sharing the word speaking the word um, so let's pray Heavenly Father, thank you for taking the gospel to the nations so that we here today, half a world away, some 2,000 years down the timeline, so that we might find rest in our Savior, uh, the righteous one, uh, the one who has been sacrificed on our behalf. May we, like you, show no partiality in those whom we speak, sharing your, your glorious gospel. 
Lord, give us strong faith to believe the truth of your word as we leave from this time of corporate worship soon. Uh, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.